Let us now pray. The reading from Scripture is taken from the Gospel according to John, chapter 10. The text this afternoon is from Mark 8, where the Lord Jesus calls us to follow him. The Lord uses that uh, verb, to follow, also in the Gospel according to John, as an indication of trusting in him and believing in him and obeying him. And we find it also in John 10, for example, in verse 4, where the Lord calls himself the Good Shepherd and speaks about his sheep. And then when the shepherd brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So they follow him because they know his voice. And he comes back to that in in the same chapter in verse 22. Let's read 22 through 30. At that time, the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Not only does the Lord tell us to follow him. But as you follow him we have to take up our cross. And Peter also speaks about that in 1 Peter 2. We read verses 18 through 25. 1 Peter 2, about suffering and following Christ means to also share in his suffering. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds 
you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's sing now about our shepherd and to follow him. Hymn 56. Let's turn now to the gospel according to Mark. The sermon will focus on the verses 34 through 38 of chapter 8. But we'll start reading at verse 27 to understand also the context in which these words were spoken by our Savior. So Mark 8 starting at verse 27. And God's word reads there as follows, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And then comes what we will be focusing on and calling the crowd to him, With his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return? For his soul. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Thus far, our text. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the instruction 
which we find in our text this afternoon, the call to take up our cross and follow our Savior, is very central to the life of a Christian. This is what being a Christian is about, to follow Christ and to take up our cross. We heard or we prayed this afternoon in the form for baptism that this indeed would be the case also of this little girl of Nevea, because we prayed that she, following Christ day by day, may joyfully bear her cross. We even speak about joyfully bearing the cross and cleave to him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love. And that was prayed for all of us, for each one of you. When you were baptized, this is what was prayed for. And this morning, when you celebrated the Lord's Supper, in the form for Lord's Supper, if you use the long form, then also we pray for that. Because in the prayer before the communion, we ask the Lord, as we pray to be partakers of that new and everlasting testament, that we need his grace. Grant us your grace that we may take up our cross joyfully, deny ourselves, and confess our Savior. So also the Lord's Supper reminds us of this this central part of our lives, that we have to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow our Savior. So let us this afternoon then also, as you have celebrated the Lord's Supper this morning, and as we see also this afternoon the sacrament of baptism, and we prayed for this, let's reflect on this as we listen to the text that we have in front of us. And I may proclaim to you God's word this afternoon under this theme that Christ calls us to joyfully bear our cross as we follow him, that we are called joyfully to bear our cross as we follow Christ. We'll look first of all at the situation in which the Lord Jesus speaks these words, the context, you could say. Then we'll look at what the Lord Jesus is saying. And then we'll also look at what the implications are for us. So first of all, the context. It's important to understand in which context the Lord Jesus is making this statement about taking up our cross and following him. Within the Gospel of Mark, we are at a turning point in the ministry of our Savior. Prior to this, he has been working mainly in the northern part of Palestine of Israel in Galilee, but now he is on his way to Jerusalem. And Mark, as well as the other Gospels, make a very clear point that at a certain moment, he now sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He now has a destination. So when he says, follow, 
then there is also an end destination in sight, and that is Jerusalem, where he will be crucified. So this, this moving from Galilee to, this traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem is done very intentionally. And the Gospels describe that journey of our Lord Jesus Christ also very extensively so that we can follow him. Because this is the journey where he will come to, in a way, the, the depth and the height of his work. When he will come to Jerusalem, when he will be nailed to the cross, and eventually he will rise again from the dead. This is his work as the Messiah, as the Savior of God's people. And therefore... One of the things that need to be clear at the outset of this journey is who he is. This is not a private journey. This is not a family visit. This is an official journey by the Messiah to go to the work that he came to do. So, the Lord Jesus wants to make that clear as well. And he asks his disciples, first, who do the people say that I am? And you get the answers. Elijah, John the Baptist, all the prophets. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter answers, he says, you are the Son of God, you are the Christ. That's the first time the Lord hears this from the mouth of his disciples in this way. For that is what needs to be clear at the outset of this journey, that he is the Christ, that he is the one appointed by the Father as prophet, as priest, and as king, as the Messiah. However, that may not be what the disciples expected. For following that statement by Peter, when it is clear who he is, the Lord then also very clearly indicates what this implies. He says, I have to suffer. I will be rejected by the Jews officially. I will be condemned. I will be killed and I will rise again. So he lays it out in verse 31 and says very plainly, there's no mistake about it, that this road of the Messiah, this road of the Christ, is the road that leads to the cross, leads to condemnation by the Sanhedrin, leads to the resurrection. Well, that is not what the disciples expected, as is apparent from Peter's reaction. When Peter takes the Lord Jesus aside and And rebukes him in a way, indicating that Peter says, Lord, you shouldn't say this. That's not what it is about. They may have had different expectations of how the Messiah would come. How the son of David would come to Jerusalem to establish the kingdom of God. But certainly not this way. So Peter rebukes the Lord. But then the Lord in turn rebukes Peter, the one who just had said, you are the Christ. Now the Lord recognizes In the words of Peter, the words of his arch enemy, the devil. But you see, that reaction of Peter shows a basic misunderstanding. And Peter cannot understand how this kingdom of the Messiah will come through being rejected and killed 
then there is something missing in the understanding of the disciples about the character of God's kingdom. And connected to that, if they do not quite understand who the Christ is, they do not understand their own place either. Their own future. For brothers and sisters, we as Christians are completely connected to Christ. Wasn't that what you heard this morning? Christ in us and we in him. And therefore, a misunderstanding of who Christ is and how, what he came to do will also lead to a misunderstanding of who you are. A misunderstanding about his place and what he will be facing will also lead to a misunderstanding of what we will be facing. And see, that is what the Lord is busy with. He hears in Peter's reaction that misunderstanding, and he says, you, you need to realize something. What does it mean to belong in God's kingdom? How does that kingdom come? And it comes not the way you perhaps expected it, but it goes through suffering. The road to glory is the road through deep, deep pain. And at that point, the Lord calls the others as well. It says that he called the crowd, the other ones who were following him, not just the 12 disciples, but all the others, because they needed to hear this. We need to hear this. But what is it now that the Lord is teaching us? And that brings us to the contents of these words. And you could say that the main message is very clear in verse 34. When the Lord says to his disciples and to the other ones there, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's clear, but brothers and sisters, it is very difficult. It's very far-reaching. To follow the Lord Jesus, yes, it is indeed following him as he is on the way to Jerusalem. And as they will follow him, they will learn a lot about him and about themselves. But the word follow is also used here in, in, that, in that broader sense, as the Lord Jesus more often does, in, in terms of Obeying him, believing in him, making him your life, seeking your life in him. John 10, we read about that. Committing your life to him. So to follow is more than being a spectator from a distance, but it is to be very intimately connected to the one who is leading you. You commit your life to him. It's like when you make profession of faith. I'm going to follow him. Now what is involved in that? And then the Lord mentions two things that are huge. They're huge. He says, if you come after me, then you have to first of all deny yourself. Deny yourself. Brothers and sisters, that is a very difficult thing to do. To say no to yourself. Because you have said yes to Christ. Think of Peter's reaction. Uh, Peter heard what the Lord Jesus said, and he right away comes up with his own ideas. He says, no, 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 it cannot be the case, Master. 
And he has to deny himself. My own thinking has to go. Putting myself first has to go. That's a big step in all our lives. That's a big step when the journey goes in a way that you don't expect. When you don't like it. When you deny yourself, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And it means that the the focus of your life is changed. It's no longer I who determine what is important. It is He who determines what is important. To deny yourself means that He is captain in your ship, because you can have two captains on a ship, you and Christ. It's either one or the other. And what we have to learn is to not be the captain, to not have it our way, but to follow Him, to obey Him. That goes against our inclination. You see it with little children. How hard it can be for them to learn to deny themselves. Because we're all conceived and born by thinking that we can do it ourselves. We are in charge. And part of the task of parents is to help children to deny themselves. It's not not longer I. It is Christ who owns us. It's also totally against the the grain of the world in which we live that that speaks about entitlement and and about self-fulfillment and and doing what you want to do. And, And now you hear, no, it is denying yourself. And brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus did that exactly. He denied himself. Not my will, but your will, Father, be done. That's the first thing, to deny yourself. The second is also very painful and very difficult. We have to take up our cross. That was for the disciples a rude awakening. We may not necessarily understand it the way they did it, because for us the cross has become somewhat of a term referring to the work of Jesus Christ. The cross perhaps has been somewhat romanticized, but when you think of the disciples at that time, for them to carry your cross means... You're on the way to execution. Because when did the Lord Jesus carry his cross? That was on the way to Golgotha. And that was how in the Roman world, a horrible criminal was punished. You were crucified. And you had to carry that beam to the pole. And you had to go to the place of execution. And that is what the Lord is saying here. So he's not so much saying, well, you'll have some suffering, although that is true too. And and the expression to bear your cross can become also in that way a statement that speaks about hardship that we carry. But initially here it means to be condemned to death. To walk to the place where you will be crucified. To be executed. Because you have been rejected by the judge. 
and the judge has condemned you to death. That is the point here. And that means indeed that you have to be willing to give everything, your own life. The Gospel of Mark is also important for those early Christians. Perhaps at the same time as, as Mark wrote this Gospel, some of these believers were already experiencing this very fact that they were being crucified for the sake of the Gospel and for the sake of Jesus Christ under the Roman government. And it is as if the Spirit says, well... That's to be expected. Because when you follow this master who is on the way to carrying his cross, you're going to do the same. His road is then also your road. Be prepared. Be aware. So we have to deny ourselves and we have to take up our cross. I said it is difficult. In fact... You can also say it is impossible in your own strength. And that is why at the end of verse 34, the Lord comes back again to what he said in the beginning about his following. He says, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and follow me. But second time, follow. Why? To indicate that this denying of yourself, this carrying your cross, you can only do when you have that living relationship with Jesus Christ. It's more than simply, well, what he did, you may have to do too, but it is also what he did, he did for you, so that you, in him, now can do the same. Following him. Trusting him. Obeying him. Then, You can indeed deny yourself. If you try to do it in your own strength, you will fail. But when you go back to Christ, and therefore when you struggle with this, when you deal with this, always go back to who he is. The Christ who in our place did this. He denied himself. He carried the cross so that I can in him. And I must in him do it. So that is the instruction in verse 34. But then the Lord goes on to explain this further in the verses 35 through 38. There he, in a way, works it out. And he begins in verse 35 with a contrast, where he uses words that not always mean exactly the same thing. Have a look at verse 35 says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the Gospels will save it. That sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? When you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. When you lose your life, you're going to save it. Well, he's playing here with, with a physical existence that your body still functions and an eternal life in God. If you try to save your life in the sense that you don't want to be crucified, 
You find it too difficult, too hard. You know what's going to happen then. You, in effect, lose the real life, the eternal life. But when you lose your life, in the sense that you will be indeed crucified, and you do it for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the gospel, then you keep your life. You save it. If you're so desperate to hang on to this life and therefore will not take that cross, you're going to lose what you try to save in a way, your life. You lose it for eternity because only in Christ is that life. And when he says, follow me, he showed it himself because he did not cling to life, but he gave it up. And in that way, he saved life and he gives us life. So what he's saying is, look further than what you see. Look further and and don't be so busy with what you have here and now and you want to secure that, that existence and that life at all costs, at the cost of eternity. And he works it out further than in verse 36 and 37, where the Lord uses terms taken from commercial life. When he speaks about profit and gain and exchange. Because he's working out this, this losing of your life in all eternity because you want to keep it in this life. And he says, is that a good deal? Is it a good deal when you save now so you can still exist, but for all eternity you'll be lost? That's not a good deal. What kind of exchange is that? He says, think about it. That maybe you have to lose something now, but you gain eternity. That is what the kingdom of God is about. Because the only way you can be saved for all eternity is through the death of the Christ. The Lord refers here to Psalm 49. Who can pay a ransom for his life? There's no one of us that can do that. So if you try to hang on to it that way, you're going to miss out on the real deal. But in Christ, you have it. And then in the last verse, verse 38, he, the Lord Jesus puts it in, in light of the eternity, the, the consequences for all eternity, when he speaks about the day of judgment. Verse 38, he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his only angels. That last part refers to the day of judgment when the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, will come and the thrones will be set up and the books will be opened and we come before the day, before the judgment. And he says, well, when on this earth you have been ashamed of me, in the midst of this adulterous generation, he refers you to the prophet, 
prophets who often speak about Israel in that way. And again, in terms of the rejection that the Lord Jesus himself is facing, going to face, this being ashamed of Christ refers in the first instance to standing before the tribunal and being asked by the judge, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you belong to this Jesus? And if you say yes, that's the end of your life. If you say no, you can go home and continue to do what you want to do. And when you're ashamed of him, you say no. And the Lord says, if that is the case, if standing before the judge, you're ashamed, then I'm ashamed of you when you stand before the real, ultimate judge. And that means, again, no eternal life. The eternal consequences to this. So that brings you back to the beginning when the Lord says, you need to follow me. You need to deny yourself. And the denying is also not to think that you can control it, that you can do it yourself, that you can hold on to this. And you have to be willing to even give your own life because you belong to me. Why did the Lord Jesus say this? That's the last thing we want to consider. This statement here is at the beginning, you could say, of this traveling to Jerusalem, where he will be crucified. And he is saying to his disciples, think about it. You're not a spectator. But what you're going to see, what you're going to hear as you follow me has implications for who you are and what you will face and how you will be able to face it. You cannot look at or read, even if you read these chapters in Mark or in the other Gospels about the Lord on his way to the cross, brothers and sisters, you're not just reading some interesting historical uh, narrative, but you're reading about your Savior, and thus you're reading about yourself, and you're reading about your children and your grandchildren. And the point that the Lord Jesus makes here is to be a disciple, to follow, has a cost. And the cost is painful. And the cost is radical. Because in the kingdom, the road to glory goes through deep, deep suffering. To reach the glory of the Father and His angels has to go through the cross that is coming. He Himself did it. Hebrews 12. For the joy set before Him, He did not despise the cross. But he carried, and so he becomes the pioneer of our salvation. And he says to you, Do you realize there's a cost involved? Are you aware of that? You can get the whole world, but what is it going to give you for eternity? You can have all the success in this world, 
But if it's without me, what is it? Are we prepared? Are we realizing this enough? It's easy to say yes when things are well, isn't it? When you don't face persecution. But let's say it does come. And who knows how long it will be before we will meet it. And there are believers in this world who are faced with it, who may have to pay with their lives for this. That's not strange, the Lord says. That's what you can expect as you follow me. Are you aware of it? Are you prepared for it? Are you talking about it? That to follow Jesus comes at a cost. Even the cost of your own life. But because there's more than your own life, and that is Christ. And therefore, not only do we have to realize that there's a cost, we also have to realize that the only way you can do this is in Christ. When he says, follow me, it's a beautiful command. As we sang about it too with hymn 56, about going in his footsteps so that he will claim us as his own before his Father's throne. We are not spectators, but we are his. We belong to him. And the only way we can deny ourselves and carry a cross, the only way we can be prepared is when we have this living relationship with Jesus Christ. When we believe in him, when we follow him. Now, that relationship has its ups and its downs, doesn't it? When I have it well, I may not think so much about it anymore. And that's why the Lord has added to this proclamation signs. And that brings me now to those two prayers that I mentioned in the beginning. For they have to function in our lives. If you think about this, we pray this every time when a baby is baptized or when an adult is baptized. So how much does it indeed permeate in our lives? And I just want to read again that the passage from the form for the baptism of infants. Where, and think about it, this was prayed also when you were baptized. That you following Christ day by day, may joyfully bear your cross. Following him day by day, it is a daily thing. Joyfully bear your cross because you have been deemed worthy not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, Philippians. And you cleave to him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love. So as you meet this difficulty, as you bear that cross, cleave to him, stick to him like glue, in true faith, firm hope, ardent love, and be prayed, grant that his child, comforted in you, may leave this life, which is no more than a constant death, and at the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ your Son. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus said? What is it worth if you have this life, but you lose the eternity? The other way is better. If you leave this life, it is a constant death. But at the last day, without terror, may stand before the judgment seat of Christ 
the Son of God. Let that be something you think about every day. Let it be something that you talk about with your children. Because not only is it in the form for baptism, as you indicated, it is also in the form for Lord's Supper. And Lord's Supper is given to us so that on an ongoing basis we are encouraged and reminded to walk in Christ and to serve him. And there too in that prayer, grant us your grace. Indeed, that's what we need. We need the grace of our God to take up our cross joyfully. Again, that joyfully. We deny ourselves and we confess our Savior. So what you did this morning is given to you to help you in this. That you take up your cross joyfully. That you deny yourself because it is Christ. You sought your salvation outside of yourself in Him. And you confessed Him to be the one who came to save. Let us in all tribulation await our Lord Jesus Christ who will come from heaven to change our mortal body to be like his glorious body and take us to himself forever. Also there you have that glorious perspective of eternal life, that life that begins today in Christ. So follow him, brothers and sisters, and joyfully bear your cross. Amen.